Welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat, where I talk to entrepreneurs and business people from all walks of life and all levels of success, from millionaires to the people who are just starting out and everyone in between. My objective is not only to learn about their businesses and goals, but about their challenges and fears as well, all with the hopes of helping them and you find a pathway to success. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so thrilled that you're joining me today for a conversation with my friend Derek Champagne. And Derek is a serial entrepreneur with over 15 years of experience developing effective marketing campaigns. He's also the founder and CEO of The Artist Evolution, a full-service marketing agency building successful brands, marketing tools, and campaigns for startups and household brands. He is also the author of the best-selling book, Don't Buy a Duck, which I have on my shelf and has been endorsed by the likes of Seth Godin and many other people. And most importantly, Derek is a husband and a father of two kids, Eli, who is six, and Emily, who is eight. Derek, welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. Thank you, Andy. Thanks so much. I'm excited and I love what you're doing. I love listening to your show. Yeah, thank you. A pleasure's all mine and excited to have you on. You and I met through some mutual friends at uh, Podcast Movement back in August in Anaheim and sounded like you were doing some big things. You handed me a book right away <laughs> and uh, I was definitely intrigued by the title, Don't Buy a Duck. And so uh, I think I started reading it on the, on the plane back and I uh, was interested in some of the stuff you had in there and thought it'd be great to have you on here to talk about not only your journey, but some of the things you're doing today and how you help your clients. So mm. for people that don't know you, uh, I thought maybe we start with a little bit of background. Maybe you could share some of your origin story and how you got to where you are today. Love to. And if you don't mind, I want to say that when I first met you a few months ago, we had not met each other, but we knew a lot of the exact same people, like mm -hmm. really well. You knew a lot of my dear friends who mean a lot to me. And these are people that are really, really good people, people that make me better, that I feel very fortunate that I get to be around. And so meeting you and seeing that we knew the same people, I knew that you were a good quality person, that whatever you were doing had to be something big. And so that's why I approached you and talked with you. So ah. thank you. And I love that we have some of those same friends that are just amazing individuals. That is very nice. Uh, nice of you to say. And I can say that you have some really great friends that I was purposely trying to follow around because they obviously uh, seem to know a lot of things and know what was going on. So yes, they do. The well, right so place. my background, so my business and my entrepreneurial and my marketing, all of that background kind of started for me at a really early age. My parents were part-time musicians. They were touring in the seventies and the eighties. And so I was on stage for the first time at three years old. And my mom and dad had, wrote a song for my brother and I, and we performed it. And that was the rest is history. And so we'd go on the road part-time with them and work the sound and go up on stage and play. And from a really early age, I started to kind of fall in love with the idea of making connections, of being able to see a product and a service and see how people absorbed it and see how you booked from place to place and see how people actually engaged. And that was just really fascinating to me. And so I almost had, didn't have a separation. I fell in love with music and kind of business at the same time. And they were indistinguishable to me at an early age. At 10 years old, I started managing a band that my brother and I started. We played all over the country. My parents would take us from Nashville to you name it, and we would play around. And for a decade, we did that. And then I got to play in another band. And in the meantime, I had different businesses that I worked my way through, even in high school and college. So I had my first distributorship when I was 18 and was delivering cookies around. I own the, I own the rights to Famous Amos in three states and all these different, these different product brands. I brought a franchise in and tripled it and sold it after a few years. And really, it was just my tenacity my grit and my determination to just see something and build it. Just that was always wired into me. 
when I was 18, when a lot of people were getting in trouble and I was too, I was really more focused on music and, and growth and business. And I was one of the first people I knew, number one, to have a website when you could even have a website. I had them before businesses I knew because I was promoting products. And I was also was one of the first people to go that I knew my age to go get a bulk mailing permit because I wanted to mass send things out, packages out 200 at a time. And I couldn't do it efficiently. So <laughs> we would show up with giant bags to the post office. They knew us well. And that's how our early days of marketing started for mail marketing and et cetera. So fast forward a few years later, and I had the opportunity to sell another company and then go and move to California. And I know that you've got roots and have time in California as well. We've, we've shared some of those Hollywood stories. And I got to have fun as a Hollywood musician for years and as a, as a Hollywood entertainer. And I, I played three, four nights on the Sunset Strip. I was in the house band when Johnny Depp owned the Viper Room. I was a Sunday night band and got to really hone my guerrilla marketing skills out there and work with other projects. Got to put music on a bunch of TV shows and other stuff that sounds fun. But at a certain point in time, I was ready to have a quieter life. Midnight shows and Sunset Boulevard shows and all that. It sounds glamorous, but Andy, you know better than anybody else what an exhausting fake life that can be, right? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But it sounds good. And when you come from, from the South and you go visit, it's, it's just enough to keep you there for a long time. It's yeah. got that allure, right? You get addicted to it. You're always just chasing different stuff and trying to you know, create your image and uh, you get caught up right. in that and distracted from other things. You're so right. I had an opportunity during that time. And it was an interesting transition. Here I was doing music and, and I had a couple businesses while I was in LA too separately that, that if you ask me about some failures later, I'll probably highlight a few of them for you. Uh, some things we did well that were cool and things that we missed the mark on. But I had an opportunity to develop a sales product randomly for back from my hometown here in Arkansas for this business mogul who wanted to go into a different sales market. And I said, I'll be glad to develop this for you, but I want to, I want to manage it too. And so I started managing it within three months. And this was with no websites, no business cards, nothing. Just me sitting in, in a condo in LA with a phone and being creative. And we sold six figures within two months. And then we had the product to, into three national markets to oral surgeons, to prostodontists, and to uh, periodontists. And so based on that, we had an opportunity to make a, a life change. And my wife and I, she was an actress out there back then. And I was a musician. The typical story that you seems unique in other places, but in LA, it's just pretty common. And uh, we had an opportunity for quieter life. And so we moved back to Northwest Arkansas to have some, some resemblance of uh, traditional family life so we could get married and start a business. And so for, for a little bit of time, I worked at an, with this company that I mentioned and we did well and then it transitioned and was bought out. And then I was suddenly at a kind of a vendor agency here in Northwest Arkansas. This is basically a, a hub for shopper marketing. It's, it's one of the top spots in the country actually for that with Walmart and Sam's Club being headquartered here. So the clients at our agency were like Dial, T-Mobile, Rubbermaid, Crayola, and I started a small business division. And about six months in, I just started to see an opportunity where the small business owner was being underserviced, not because of the agency, but just in the marketplace, there was a real gap. And we just were having trouble servicing them. We would get down an agency meeting and the entire, the entire business's retainer was eaten up in that board meeting with our salaries. And so it was a good transition point. And with the, almost in a Jerry Maguire type moment, my bosses said, hey, we're going to be letting go of some of these clients. And I said, I was just about to talk to you about making a transition myself. I'm just passionate about doing this instead. I don't know if this is a good fit for me. And they said, well, you can take a few of them if you want. So I went out in the parking lot and I remember sitting in my car. I was in over my head. Remember my, my entrepreneurial grit and my, I didn't have the marketing agency pedigree though. I was a scrappy musician that knew how to get things done, knew how to build some little companies. I was an entrepreneurial guy, underdog in over my head. I remember calling one client saying, I got some bad news for you. We've got to let you go. 
And he got really quiet. I said, but the good news is if you want, I can take on your account. I'm going off my own. I have a blessing. He got real quiet. And then he said, what time can you get here? And I said, I'm on my way. And that was the start of me starting my agency 10 years ago. And since then, we've grown year over year. There's been tough years, and I'm happy to highlight some of those and the lessons I've learned. But we have grown to where we're able to work from household restaurants that you know that do delivery internationally that we've got to do campaigns for, to Ivy League institutions, to multi-billion dollar companies, all the way to startups and dentists and in between from New York to California and a ton in the South. And so that, that's what our agency does now. And we're, at, we're enjoying our second 10 years that started in July. Wow, man, that's uh, that is a really cool story, and it, you've done so many fun, interesting things. And I think one of the interesting things is you know you talked about the kind of fighting the glamorous lifestyle of you know playing music <laughs> on the Sunset Strip. Right. I, it's easy for a lot of people, I think, to get caught up in that. I would assume, and you know, try to stick mm-hmm. with it, and get caught up in the partying, the drinking, drugs, and stuff that goes along with it. And it might be fun, but you were also starting and running businesses while you were there too, which I'm sure took some grit and determination and some discipline to not be out partying till five in the morning every night. Where did that drive for business come from? And was it easy to kind of move away from that scene and and focus more on business when you did that? That's a great question. Yeah. So the addiction for me, being really honest, and there's still some times when when it hurts, that fear of missing out. And it's been many, you know, 14, 15 years. And, you know, when I, because I went there, I remember being on the beach in Pensacola, Florida with some buddies. And I was looking through a magazine. Here we are, some dirt road, poor little Arkansas boys. Look through a magazine. And I said, I, someday I'm going to go to that Musicians Institute and I'm going to make it in Hollywood, right? And, yeah. I, and I said, two years from now, whatever the date was, and to the date, I did it. I mean, I just, so it was wow. a lifelong dream of mine to be there doing what I was doing and doing the businesses I was doing. So that part I loved. And the addiction was really, as you know, in Hollywood, especially playing the clubs that we played and being, we were known as one of the local bands by then. So to go from mm-hmm. being a, an Arkansas boy that grew up really poor on a dirt road, no cable TV, no central yeah. heat and air my whole life. I mean, we just, we didn't, thankful for everything. But yeah. to go from that to being, you are our name is known when we're on the marquee. It's just, it's hard to let that go because suddenly you go back to your small town again and it's like, what high school did you go to, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's yeah. that small town feeling going, no, no, you don't understand. I was living this whole other life, like doing big things, right? Yeah. And so that part's hard to let go. But the easy part, though, is just it's such an exhausting, fake life. And at some point when you want, mm-hmm. I'm not saying everyone in L.A. is. I've got plenty of friends. They're still in the movie business. Same all kinds here. Of I resist that uh, yeah, generality right? all the time. But for me, I needed to make that change. So uh, ask me the other question again, if you don't mind, because I want to really make sure I give you a good answer. Well, it's also kind of where did that drive for business come from? Because you were you were yeah. still focused on business while you were still in the entertainment oh, artist. Oh, yeah. I've always, so, and this is what I love about my team that works for me, too. I'm always looking for solutions. It's just the way my mind is wired. I just, I'm always looking for thing at things differently. So if somebody says it can't be done or if there's a problem, I, just, I see a solution. And so I've just, just, it's my wiring has been that way since I was young. And, you know, I have some good examples and, and I've thought about this a lot because I just did a presentation recently where I talked about my grandpa and how he was, where I was doing something for the American Diabetes Association. I talked about how my grandpa passed three things down. He passed on entrepreneurship, music, and diabetes to our, through our family. And so I did this whole big presentation last week. And one of the main things I've highlighted was I saw my grandpa doing it. I mean, my grandpa, he dropped out of school when he was 12 because he was during the Great Depression and he just had to go make money. And one of the highlights of his life, his young life, was finding a box of chocolates in the dumpster to bring home to his family. 
And so he, he fast forward, he didn't finish school. He just went out and started a construction business and he built it. And then he sold that and then he would build something else. And it was never excuses for him. It was just, all right, let's get up there and let's roll up our sleeves and let's do this. Yeah. And it was always an inventor's mind. And I don't have the inventor's mind, but, but that's just my wiring. It just, I got that. I didn't even realize that until I started studying my history. I just have that wiring. Yeah. And, for, and I've, maybe I'm just dumb enough. Maybe I'm just dumb enough to go act on it. A few other voices in my head might say you shouldn't do it, right? But I'm just smart enough to work hard and pull it off too. So I, I, I'm telling you that since the music days early on, I was interested in business. And then I had one boss I remember at a fast food restaurant when I was, I was working at 14. Mm-hmm. And, I, and he gave me the keys to the, to the business. And he put me in charge of the whole thing. So I'm 14 years old and I'm running this taco restaurant. And I got people working for me that are in their 30s. And so just, I think that confidence early on that, hey, you're making good decisions. Yeah. You're trustworthy. You're going to do the right thing. And you're, you're figuring out solutions just gave me confidence that yeah. I could do it. And so, you know, it, it also reminds me of how, what kind of influence we have on 14-year-olds out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can build that confidence. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of being able to go out and do things and overcoming fear comes from the experience of doing them before, right? And having, mm. building the confidence because you know you give it, you've done it. You had that shot early, built the, the experience with business, with people, right? And managing people, yeah. talking to people. I also love you being in marketing. I hope this doesn't devalue this, but it kind of sounds like <laughs> a commercial when you say, my grandfather handed down three things. Yes. <laughs> business, music, and diabetes. Well, if I hadn't done that presentation last week, I probably would have had a different answer. But I really have reflected on this answer over the last month as I prepared for this Big old presentation. So, right. yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so it, it is rehearsed. <laughs> well, speaking of that's speaking of getting experience and building confidence. Uh, when you were in LA, you mentioned you started a couple other businesses that you had some pretty big failures or mistakes from. Can you tell us about like what were those and what did you learn from those? I had a couple fun ones. So here, here's the upside of entrepreneurship, and you and I talked about this a little bit before we started this. The fun part is, and this is one of the biggest lessons I've learned is how to stay focused. Because early on, I just didn't understand. I didn't know how much you had to water. Because keep in mind, some of the businesses I had early on, I bought or they were franchise focused. So they had more structure to them. So they gave me some bumpers that kept me from certain areas of failure. Now I had to perform and do all the right things and sell and all that. But I didn't, it wasn't something from scratch that was built up. So one of the companies we have was called Rent-A-Shirt. And as you know, in the LA market, one of the biggest issues is being able to flip. There's so many people moving there that landlords are having trouble even cleaning up the apartments in time to get them re-rented out. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And so what we did, I started a company called Rent-A-Shirt LLC. And in LA, you have, I have no background in construction, by the way. Let me just preface that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> None. But I saw an opportunity. And so I remember going to Michelli's restaurant there on Ventura Boulevard. I don't know if you know, but they waitresses and waiters sing to you amazing place. And I remember going there and interviewing general contractors. And so, and, and we selected a few that we liked and we put them on, on this payroll. <laughs> we, we hired them. We had no business yet. And so we hired them, we vetted them. And then we just started contacting general contractors or started contacting the, the different apartments on a bigger scale. I remember our first project came from a, a company in San Francisco that flew their private plane over to see us. And so we brought our general contractor in and they gave us like 30 apartments in the, the next day. And so that's how we started our business. So we were in business fast. And so we just hired workers, friends, general contractors to oversee the projects. And we just started flipping apartments. Some of them had pigeons living in them, but there was so much value. As you know, again, it's hard to get an apartment. Yeah. It's hard. It's not like New York, but it's hard. And so that was one of our, that was especially one, if you have a pet, Jeez. especially if you have a pet. Yeah. And these pigeons weren't pets. They weren't supposed no. to be in there, but, <laughs> but, uh, and so that was our first business. There's rent a shirt and we, we were killing it. But what we didn't do is we didn't, what we 
did wrong in that business is we didn't keep up with our insurance the right way and we really didn't understand the business. We got in over our head. We just saw a quick way to get into the marketplace. And so that was a tough business for us and we learned some expensive lessons there. But at first we did really well, but we should have done more market research Yeah, <laughs> about compliance and other class. codes. <laughs> exactly. And we had another one, we had another company and surprisingly enough, another one in the construction business called Construction Bid Finders. And that one, so this is pretty bad if we have to give an analogy of something you know, but this was the failed Angie's list, basically. (laughs) And so we were, before technology caught up with us, we were doing it, that we didn't have Facebook or any of that yet. So we, some of the technology, we were a little bit ahead. And on that one, we learned as well. Uh, that we had the great idea and we didn't have the, we were too quick into the marketplace with a great idea that didn't have the technology for us to scale properly. It was a little bit ahead of its time. And it actually was. I mean, people say that about ideas, but we didn't have the technology for us to keep up with basically with our, with sourcing and with the vetting. And we, and and there is all of that now. There's great technology for it now. So that was another lesson we learned, but it was fun too. And we did well with both of those companies while they were doing well. So it seems like you have quite a history of growing things pretty quickly when you start them, even if there's no, the types of marketing scale of opportunities that we know of today with social media and websites and all that stuff, you were, you were already growing things. From well, that. I'm telling you that, I mean, keep in mind that, that by day I was doing those things and by night I'm promoting bands. And so we're, as you know, again, the, the Sunset Strip is extremely, and we were touring too, but the Sunset Strip is a, in a competitive, you pay to play. You know, for example, how we set ourselves out for, and I share this one in my book, is uh, while bands would have 10, 15 people there and we're just eating these tickets. I mean, you buy your tickets and then you try to go sell them. Mm. And if you're playing three or four nights a week, you know what happens by the, the third month you live in LA? You've got the same friends that you've made and they go, I like you a lot. You guys are great. And I saw you 12 times last month right, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not, not coming, coming tonight. Right. Month six in LA. Good luck, man. And so you can only rally good. You know, if you live in the Midwest, you're playing once a month. Yeah. Your friends all come out. Mom and dad are there, but you live in LA. Great band. Good luck. Yeah. And so what we did is we started partnering. We said, well, how do we get fresh people? And we thought, you know what? There's all these hostels. There's just people coming to town. They want to see American music. So we partnered with, there was a dozen hostels in LA. So we got half a dozen of the top ones and we said, Hey, can we bring tickets to you? They said, sure, bring us tickets. We're like, great, we got it solved. Crickets, nothing. So we said, what, what's the issue? And we called the hostels. We said, hey, we want a formal partnership. What, what's our problem? And they said, we've got, they said, you've got people that want to come there, but they don't want to take a cab. It's $80. And so if you can figure out transportation, then you've got this problem solved. So what we did is we started at first, and my wife was my girlfriend back then, we started using friends and fans and girlfriends' cars and picking up international people from six different hostels and and basically transporting them to shows. And so we started to have lines around the block. And that did so well that fast forward several months later, and we were renting multiple 15-passenger vans just to bus hostelers back and forth to our shows. So while one, one group would have 15 people, whenever one of our acts would play, we would have 100, 200 people from all over the world lined up all the way down Sunset Boulevard like a big to-do was happening. Wow. So that's an example of how we find ways to solve problems. And when there's the, the door's locked, you find a window open. When the window, if there's no window, you carve a window out. When, there's, yeah. when your customer won't come to you. And the biggest lesson on that for me that I use to this day, I use a lot of guerrilla strategies to this day in this approach. Meet your customers where they are. Build bridges and remove all obstacles. Don't make them come to you because they just won't. If you have a good product and service and you know you do, yes, they'll come to you. But why not bridge the gap? When you bridge the gap, you create effortless opportunity for you to have a dialogue and a relationship back and forth. Yeah, it's kind of like the old days 
you know, you open a store and you put a sign up and you just expect people to walk in and now yes. it's, you know, yes. a website and they're like, I'm open for business. Why is nobody coming to my website? What's going on? Yes. Facebook page. I got my friends to like it. Why is nobody coming? And every day it's more and more competitive. And I talk about this in my book. There used to be three channels, three mediums for marketing. Hmm. There's more than 70 now. It's no wonder small businesses are just going. And so then small businesses get lazy sometimes and go, well, great. Every time I open my Facebook feed, there's a new guru who's promising me a sales funnel. Right. And so they either try to get a shortcut or they, or they just give up and put their head in the sand like an ostrich. And neither of those work. There has to be a balance and a strategy. And that's what we try to help businesses do is understand the big picture, put in the hard work over here, do the smart pieces here, use technology where it's appropriate, but understand that it's a whole healthy mix. Yeah. And I can, can relate. You, you see all that stuff all the time and you're a small business owner. People are telling you, you, know, you need to be on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and you got to have a website and you got to have a funnel and you've got to have email campaigns, and you've got to have all this stuff to bring people in. You've got to be posting all the time. And, oh, yeah, you got to run a business too, by the way. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, That's right. <laughs> how do you do all this stuff? So what do you do when you sit down with a new client to help them figure this out and put together a strategy that's actually realistic to bring a business? Yeah. You know, I love the picture you painted because I think of so many, and it's not funny, but it makes me smile. When I think about how many business owners are sitting there trying to be full-time bloggers and they know nothing about writing yeah. and they're oh, just, yeah, you need they're a blog like, too, and a podcast. <laughs> and a podcast. And now it's an Alexa flash briefing, Yo, which I channel. have, but YouTube channel. YouTube channel, flash briefing, it's going to keep going, right? And there's no end to what you can do. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't. So what we do, it depends if it's a new client or an existing client. If it's a new client, even better because, or new business, sorry, because Mm -hmm. we can start fresh just from the ground up. If it's an existing business, I'm happy with that too, because we do a really deep audit. And, And in my book, I talk about the five crisis points in marketing. The reason I talk about that, that's not just something I came up with. Let me think of something clever. This comes from over a decade of reviewing over a thousand brands and seeing what their common challenges are. And so by knowing that, when we go in and do an audit with a company, we quickly can ask the right questions. And at the end of an hour, man, I can tell you, this is what's fun about what we do is I know what, I know what needs to change. We know what needs to be tweaked. Just like if you go into a mechanic and they know what to tweak to make your car run better, we get it with businesses. We really do because we see so many commonalities of challenges. So we sit down and ask them some important questions. And I'll quickly tell you a few of them very quickly. Uh, one of them is we really start with a brand. Because if you don't understand who you are, if you don't understand who your customers are and who your competition is and understand that whole landscape, then you're in real trouble. Because you're promoting and you're pushing money into things that you're not quite even sure what you're promoting. And so we want to make sure first, I call it the brand's Bermuda Triangle because brands get lost in it, but it doesn't have to be complicated. So we really start by saying, we want to get who you really are. What's your real unique story? What is it about you that makes you important and why should we care? And that's what we understand first. And this is what's surprising. We work with some clients that are, we call wounded wounded birds. Mm -hmm. They're institutions. They might be a billion dollar company. Yeah. So don't feel bad if you're a startup listening to this because this happens to brands at all levels. Yep. The big guys usually have it pretty well figured out. And they're running like a well-oiled machine, but we've seen big wounded birds who just, what, they just went up here. Well, the t- technology and industry, and we rode the wave. Now what? And they're dinosaurs. And we try to help them like a wounded bird, gently rebrand them, take care of them, re-release them with technology and the things they need. And it, it's like trying to bring a wounded bird back into life. So the first thing, again, understanding who you are and then understanding the landscape of your competition. And we understand our competition that goes a long way. So we always like to, our target to when we're working with a customer for them to be able to tell us, here's what I know about my competition. Here's what they're doing. Here's their communication strategies. Here's how they're doing their online reviews. Just understanding everything about them. 
So when they have a good understanding of who they are, who their competition is, and then what their customer profile really is, you and I talked a little bit about that before we started, like who are we targeting? When we get really honed in on that, we know who to go after. So that's how we start. That's the big first thing. And then the next things, and I'll talk about this really quickly, is making sure there's the right tools for the campaign. We see so many businesses that are using the wrong tools. So they say, here's what I want to look like. Here's how I want to be perceived by my target customer. Here's the, here's the tools I need. And they don't use them. They go, well, we have this old website, so we're going to use this old website. But it's, it's, not, it's an archaic tool. So it's making sure you have the right tools that you need for, to run your campaign. Sounds simple, but nine times out of 10, when we see an issue, we end up seeing the tools aren't even right. Just hmm. because they don't want to adjust the tools. It's a small adjustment. Small adjustments make a big difference. And then the last most important things are having a plan. And I have a chapter in my book called, if marketing's not going according to plan, perhaps you don't have a plan. And then after that is execution. We see creativity. We see strategy fail because of there's no or ineffective implementation and consistent execution. And I use the analogy of making first downs all the time, knowing who's the number one, who's the quarterback for every single thing in your business that's important. Know who that is. If you don't know, then they don't know either. So who's the number one? If you don't have a team, then it's you for all of those functions. Knowing who's the number one and then uh, understanding your execution and making first ongoing first downs. When we see execution go in place the right way, then we start to see real traction. Mm, all right. Arkansas guy doing, using some football analogies. <laughs> SEC, baby. <laughs> that is great. It's good stuff. And it's stuff that people probably don't think about when they're putting together marketing. I have a follow-up question on one of these. You talked about no understanding your customer and who your customer is. Yes. I find in speaking with a lot of entrepreneurs and especially thinking about business myself, that there's a lot of advice that you need to really niche down and get very specific about who you're marketing to. But people are terrified to do that because yeah. they feel like that they're cutting out and that means I'm not going to be able to market to these other people, right? So what guidance do you give businesses on that? Do you think they really need to niche down to a, a, a finite specific person? You had to ask that question. Let me tell you how important it is. It's so important that we're restructuring our agency who help businesses do that to do that ourselves better. It's so critical. And it's critical enough that we're looking at ourselves right now going, you know what, for our differentiation, here's some reason it's important. One is for you to get traction and really do what you do well. There's too many companies that say, yeah, I think we can do that. If it's even in the line at all of what they offer as a service, instead of them being more specialized, they open up what they're doing. And that seems like you're opening up market share, but you're also diluting what you're able to offer. So does it mean that every single business has to do that? No, we work with Ivy League colleges, we work with dentists, we work with several different niches and we do and it, and, and it works well. But we can't be all things to all people. When you're all things to all people, you're what our buddy Aaron Walker talks about all the time of, of being a mile wide and an inch deep. When you really niche down on a, a very specific target customer or a few target customers, then you become an inch wide and a mile deep. And that's how you really get extreme intentional traction in any kind of vertical which is how you start to gain market share. And we do all kinds of campaigns where we either, where our client thinks they're the only one in the market or where we're competing for market share. So I understand market share from mass media placement to us going in and, and, and owning Google AdWords. We do this on a, on a very intentional scale where we are, are trying to own percentage is the markets. We do that all the time. It's what we do in our business for some of our larger clients. So the, the first step, yes, is the answer is yes, it's extremely important. You say, great, well, how do I do that? Make sure you can deliver on what you offer. Let me give you an example that's painful for me, okay? We do digital marketing here at our agency, but we are not a digital marketing agency, but we can do it. We're experts on it. I talk about it. I teach on it. I teach eight-hour lectures on social media and digital marketing. I get it. I know it. 
but it's not what we hang our hat on here. Our unique value proposition, our unique selling proposition, what makes us the artist evolution that is not easily duplicatable, which is important in your branding exercises. What do I do that is not easily duplicatable? That's one of the most important things you can answer in, as opposed to your competition. What is it that gives me the competitive advantage with all else being equal? We're going to assume that everybody has a, the same widget. Now, why would they buy that widget from me? We are the execution specialists. We don't know a whole lot of agencies in our competition, competitive landscape, that are bragging about that because it's the dirty work in marketing. It's not quite as scalable. It means you have to have intentional, 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 never, never fail without fail, relentless customer service, tough skin, and be ready to be a quarterback and a bulldog for your clients. Mm. And that's what we do. And so as we've expanded and grown, yes, we can do that. We'll take care of that. And so we've, we've gone up against all these digital things. So when, whenever things go wrong in our agency, it's usually because a client is not happy with something digital focused. So we, this month, this month, we've had to make the decision. Our website's changing and we're about to put it live. I said, nope, we've got one more change and we are repositioning how our agency is known. We're going to continue to help with those digital aspects and the SEO things because we, we're good with that. But our focus is going to be from the very beginning of our site is going to say we are not a digital agency. We are not an SEO agency, but we have great partners. So we're happy to refer you. But if you're looking for this, this, and this, and if your agency or if your business is dealing with this, this, or this, we are the right choice for you because we are 1000% confident we are going to over deliver for them and earn their business for hopefully a lifetime. Wow. And it's too hard to keep getting customers when you know better than anybody else about the effort of sales and the relationships that you build. And as your business grows, I can promise you this will happen. Not you, but everybody. Is what you promise and what you say you're going to make, you better make sure that your team is delivering on that. And if you're trying to offer too many things to too many people, it becomes very challenging to offer at the quality that you as a business owner and the salesperson want to make sure you deliver. Yeah. So it's that, that issue where when you're starting out, you're saying yes to everything because you just want those clients. To yes. Business, right? Yes, yes, yes. You got to start <laughs> being able to say no and being able to be confident <laughs> enough in yourself to say, I'm sorry, we don't do that. We'll refer you to someone else. That's not our specialty. Our specialty is this. And this is what we're going we're gonna to do really Yes. Well. And I, we do that so well with our clients, but you had to bring that question up and it, it just jabs me because it's what we're dealing with right now. So it's very personal. If I can mention one other thing about your target customers, sure. and this is really important, is when you do define and really understand who they are, I want to encourage everyone to really dig in even farther. Look at your customers. And again, as a sales expert, Andy, you, you know this, look at your customers as a relationship. And, and we look at our customers that way and we understand several things about them. Some obvious things, their gender, their age, their birthdays, their income, their ethnicity, their marital status, their stage of life, their religion, their education, their hobbies, their geographic location, their buying patterns, their political affiliations, et cetera. Now, if we don't have, if I don't have a good relationship with my wife and I forget her birthday and I don't know what she likes if it is her birthday, I don't know her political affiliation, all these things. Think of how you start to have some gaps and some tension in your relationship. The better that you understand your target customer and what's important to their world, it doesn't mean go be a chameleon to them, but you can best communicate in a way that is relevant to them and have a really authentic conversation more quickly. That's a great way to cut through clutter when you're trying to reach your target customers. Man, that's good. And that, you know, brings it home when you start thinking about the relationship with your wife or your best friends or anything. Right. Like that, right? If you, don't you know what they like, don't you? Yeah. Oh, me and Eric are going out to grab a beer and, you know, he likes nachos. We're probably going to go to this place because he'll want to watch the game or, you know, my wife likes to go this place and we'll probably go to this place. You just know. Yeah. 
Yeah. You just know because you know them. A lot well. about your target customers too. Yeah. This episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. At Advantage, we offer creative learning solutions that can help accelerate leadership development, business acumen, sales performance, and business results. Our clients say we're imaginative, collaborative, insightful, and fun. For more info, visit AdvantagePerformance.com or call us at 415-925-6832. And now back to the show. I want to get back. I think it's interesting that you talk about being an execution agency because I I haven't worked that much with, I've never worked with a marketing agency. I would imagine a lot of them are focused on putting that plan together for you and then letting you go out and execute on it. And, you know, I used to always joke, I've spent the last seven plus years working as a consultant on the execution side as a strategy execution consultant. we'd always, mm. you know, after you've paid McKenzie $2 million for that PowerPoint for your strategy, <laughs> bring us in to actually help you execute on it. Yes. People sit around <laughs> with this strategy and they're like, okay, great. Yeah. I'm going to do all this, but now I got to go back and run my business. So how is right. it? Right. 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 Come in and help, <laughs> help them execute on that. And then the target customer thing is, fascinating because probably not nearly enough people do this. And you said you've been doing a lot of reflecting and rebranding and you're working with a lot of different companies, but who is your target customer now, Derek? Mm, That's a great question. Our target customer now is a growing business. And I'm going to be very general right now. I'll tell you the the, kind of the, I'm going to tell you where they, what their psyche is. Okay. It's a, it's a growing business that doesn't have a marketing department and they're just growing too fast and they need help structuring, we come in and we actually help them build their marketing department. That includes helping them figure out who to hire and we come alongside and support them. Or it's a company that is growing and has trouble keeping their marketing department focused because a lot of businesses keep reassigning the marketing roles, right? And we do this, we've done this in our own agency. You hire somebody to work the front desk and then before you know it, they get promoted to this position and then you see them there and it's the small companies that are notorious for doing this. You start wearing five or 10 hats and it's confusing for the department. So marketing departments, a lot of them end up doing everything except the big picture marketing. They're out there running trade shows. They're out there visiting with the referral clients. They're out there with their customers. They're trying to manage social media and they need support. So we come in as a support for marketing teams that are just like, Pfft. I mean, if we had more hours in the day, we would. And we come in and go, you know what? Great. You are in charge. You're the hero. But let us come in and help move those big rocks for you. Because when we move big rocks for you, you're going to look like a rock star that you are. So you get the credit. As long as if we're, the less we're noticed, the longer we have longevity with the client. And these are big companies. We're getting billion plus dollar companies going, yeah, we like that. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, the senior manager will come in and go, hey, we know you're behind that, but thank you. You're making them look good. And we're like, no, 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 it's them. They're the rock stars. And so that's our best target, our best target customers. We work with startups. We have some other niches that we work in, but that's our sweet spot for clients that are just, and then the, the last one though that I enjoy working with is what I mentioned is the wounded birds. They're big institutions that are just like the tight, they're just big ships that need help turning. And so we just help them turn. That's more, the more of a fun type project for me. I like that. I really like the attitude that you're going to come in and try to make those marketing professionals look like rock stars because I'm guessing that for a lot of like medium businesses, those marketing people who are overwhelmed, they're thinking, okay, you're going to come in and take my job. And my job is going to make me look like a moron and you're you're going to talk down to me. Right. Because you're going to come in and say, well, this idiot over here wasn't doing it right. Let me show you what to do. And it's the same thing when I work with executives in IT who are always afraid that 
you know, some outsourced company is going to come in and take their job. Think everybody's moving to the cloud. Why do we need these people anymore? If you come in and say, I'm, I'm coming to make you look good. It's the same thing I do when I come in and work with companies, helping them with their talent development strategy is I want to work with a talent development leader and make them look good. Right. It doesn't have to be credit to me. I just want it to go really well. And I can see you getting a lot more business from that and developing great relationships from that as well. It's well, we get more done too. And it's fun because we're, we see billboards and we see digital campaigns and we see TV commercials. We get to, we get to help create those things too. So I didn't get to really talk about the creative side, but yes, we're the strategy and the, in the, the implementation execution team. But as a byproduct of that, because we like to help keep some of the control is we do get to manage some of those. So we get to produce and, and help with those things. And that's fun. So what we're doing in cooperation with clients, there's such a great collaborative effort. And it goes a long way to have that approach. And agencies are notorious now. They're getting better because there's so many upstart digital agencies now that are just with technology that anybody can have a digital agency and be a consultant in a week now, right? Or social media expert. So that's changing kind of the landscape of how agencies are perceived. But traditionally, it can be intimidating for a marketing manager to meet with an agency because agencies try to use big words. And you'll see if if you've seen my book and you see how I talk, our goal is always how do we bridge any gaps we can so that we can all just be speaking the same language. I bet you that if I use big agency marketing words, that's not going to help anybody. Why don't we just be real here? We all want the same thing. We want to help grow and there's room at the table for all of us. Yep. Yep. Uh, so the last thing I wanted to ask you, well, one of the last couple of things, Derek, is we didn't talk about your book that much and it does have that intriguing title uh, <laughs> about the duck. So don't buy a duck is the book. Where did that come from? And uh, why did you decide to write it? Yeah, thank you. I Okay, I'll tell you the story behind it in a minute, but I had the opportunity a few years ago to start doing this kind of the speaking circuit. And interestingly enough, you asked about what niches we're in and we've kind of stepped out of one, but for a little while we were in the dental marketing niche. And in fact, we're endorsed by the Arkansas State Dental Association. I'm, I'm on the advisory board for Dental Entrepreneur Magazine. It's a national magazine. I write in it, but we've kind of stepped back from that because we realized if we, were, we could better serve some other types of clients and that were better fit. But I would be speaking to, I don't know, a thousand dentists <laughs> about social media for eight hours. So we did that for a while. And I basically, after about two years, had just my take on marketing. Just, and, and it's not earth shattering, but it's, it's Derek Champagne's approach from my unique experiences of having, being an owner of, of helping all these companies of, of just seeing what works and doesn't. And so I had my own unique notes. I had 48 pages of, of notes that were unique to me for my lectures. And, and so I just, I just realized at a certain point that I wasn't hearing my message quite heard the way that I was sharing it. And I saw a unique opportunity in the marketplace for me to write a book. And so that's why I did it. And my lectures was talking about my story of buying a duck. And it was when I was, I think I was eight years old. And, and we actually, my mom used to go to yard sales all the time. And she stopped at this yard sale. And, and it, right in front of me, there was a duck. And the stars aligned for me with all the sense of an eight-year-old. And I said, I got to have that. My mom said, are you sure this is something you want? She, she seemed to know something I didn't. I was like, I got to have that. I mean, it made sense. I talked my brother into giving me his five bucks. I guess that was my first sales experience and uh, pulled it together, bought the duck, put it in a box, put it in the back of the, the old station wagon. And, and I share often that, you know, that feeling you get when you've made an impulse buy. It's usually not good. Usually the idea of the fantasizing about getting it, it's that addiction to shopping yeah. is more fun than getting it, right? With your listeners, I don't know what they bought. Maybe they bought a boat or it's usually a purchase that depreciates pretty quickly, right? Yeah. A yeah. watch, a jet ski. I don't know what you bought, a hot tub, whatever. And maybe it was okay for someone else, but as soon as you got it, you're like, ugh, just that knot in your stomach. That's the feeling I had for the first time. I'll never forget it. And I was eight years old and that duck flew out of the box and it went crazy in our car. Like an, it felt like an albatross just flying around. 
and we were able to get it out of the car to the neighbor's pond. We, we named it Quackers and just like, you know, it was life. I'll never forget the, the, the wings flapping in my ears. And so the analogy I've used with clients for years in our lectures is, is I'll tell that story and I always just say, don't buy a duck. Don't think you wanted to buy something. When your money presents itself, you see a shiny object, you grab it, you buy it, and then you realize it was actually something that was going to be a real pain for you. And then you have to get rid of it and you never forget it. And as business owners, we have that often. So my book is all about, let me walk you through how to not waste money. And I, I, I caution business owners. I say, hey, before you read this book, instead of being an ostrich and putting your head in the sand or instead of spending good money over bad, read this 117 pages. It's a short book. And it just says, take pause and let me tell you what I know about marketing. I mean, Seth Godin's was, it's, it's like sitting down with someone that knows a lot about marketing over a cup of coffee. That's my approach to this book is let's sit down and talk. You, you hear my approach to, mar- to conversation. It's a conversational book and I talk about execution. I talk about what types of marketing you should and shouldn't use, uh, about how to be strategic in marketing. See, that's often missed. And that's probably one of the biggest things I can recommend is I see business owners, I see them going through some real stressful times, really stressful. I understand. I have my ups and downs now and our business has been around for a long time. It can be stressful when things are good, when things are bad, when clients need something, when you're trying to take care of them. And we sometimes make emotional decisions. And in marketing, that does not serve us well. Emotion in marketing belongs for your ability to empathize with the client, with the customer, to understand their customers and to understand that whole environment. But it doesn't serve you well when you're making strategic decisions for your business. And so I talk about the Maslow's hierarchy of need, where if you're operating from the bottom of the pyramid, which a lot of business owners do with their marketing, they start to get panicked. And, and, and it's the bottom of the pyramid is your, your physiological needs. And that served us well as cavemen when we needed to breathe and have food and fire and water. But as business owners, it doesn't. So whenever you can build plans out and follow some of the recommendations I, may, I make in the book of, I know who I am, I know who my competition is, I understand what my messaging is, I understand the right tools, I'm using them, I'm following this checklist. I built a plan, I'm executing on it, so each time I look back, I've been making first downs, and I have an acronym called PETMAG, Plan, Execute, Track, Measure, Adjust, Grow, PETMAG. And I say, when you follow that, you can be strategic. I've been in some high-level strategic meetings where money was being lost, and, but we all understood what was happening and where we were going with it. So we were able to make adjustments because in our plan, we have the third phase of PetMag is track and then measure and adjust. So we knew that was coming. We were okay with it. And so when you start to make strategic decisions instead of emotional, you act from the top of the pyramid. That's things like morality, creativity, spontaneity, acceptance, experience, purpose, meaning, inner potential. That's the top of the pyramid good decisions are made up there. That's what this book is about, is, is educating on here's how to be a smart marketer. And if you're a business owner and you don't have a marketing team, you're the marketing team. And so you need to learn these things and don't be scared. It is easily, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And that's the point of this book. Uh, that's excellent. And I am the marketing team for my business right now. And I remember getting some really good uh, tips and strategies out of your book and thinking I might need to go back through it now again as I've good. gotten into this new business and really thought about how do I want to position myself? What customers am I going after? And how do I want to market it? Speaking of marketing, for anybody that is launching a new business or you know getting into a business, maybe even on the side um, and trying to figure out, okay, how do I want to position myself? What, is, what am I going to do from a marketing perspective? What's, what's one tip, what's the one like first most important thing they need to do to start setting themselves up for success? If they're going to go open their own business, it's the original, original recommendations that I made is to really identify what your unique selling proposition is going to be and who you're going to sell to. 
That's number one. There's so many resources now, and, and most of you know this, there's so many resources that doesn't have to be complicated to launch a business. It can be launched in a couple of days. Websites, now, do we have preferences on how to build a website and how to get SEO, SEO and all those things? Yes, and there's so many opinions and there's so many experts out there, but don't be overwhelmed with it. Take it one step at a time. But know your core though, the core of who you're going to be, what you're going to sell, who you're going to sell to and make that really good. And then just start putting the, the, uh, the pieces together as far as what tools you're going to use. Awesome. Derek, it's been a lot of fun. For anybody who is uh, listening and wants to reach out to you, wants to find out more about you and your agency, where do they go to find out more information? Yeah, thank you so much. Well, a couple of things. One is we have this new marketing course I'm really excited about. And my wife is a rock star marketer too. And we made this course together. It's called champagnemarketingcourses.com. And it is basically a DIY guide. Our agency is not a fit for everybody because it costs money. And so what we try to do is find the gap between the book and between working with an agency. And there's, I know where I've been. And I'll tell you this, we have for the past decade looked for a comprehensive marketing plan that we could steal and use as a template. And there just wasn't one out there. So we made a 40 video course. There's 40 videos of my wife and I talking to you about everything we've learned about marketing as an agency owner, from media placement to how to buy, to how to manage social media, to how to set up a podcast, to how to make your, when to use yellow pages and not to, I mean, believe it or not. And we cover all of those things. Then we have 20 worksheets about how to build your brand, how to build a, how to have consistency with your brand, how to build a, all the, a, a, a brand standards guide to share, how to pick your marketing team. And then we, at the end of it, wait for it, 48 page marketing template. We put it together. It's what we use for, what we've charged $10,000 for as an agency to build for our clients. And we have that for under $300, this whole course. We're super excited about it because it, it kind of has a gap in the marketplace for how we were able to service our clients. So if you have a, a business, an existing business, and you want some kind of assessment, we do have a complimentary marketing assessment. It's assessmymarketing.com. There's no obligation. It just allows you to kind of plug and play with some numbers and say, you know, here's what we're looking at. Here's our market. And we'll ask you some questions that help you get closer to identifying how you should build your marketing campaign. Connect with me on LinkedIn too. I'd love that. Uh, Derek Champagne. I love making new contacts. Awesome. There's a lot of stuff out there to learn from you. And I learned a lot in this interview. Um, had a lot of fun too. So Derek, thank you so yeah, me much. Me too. The entrepreneur hot seat. Really appreciate it. Andy, thank you so much, man. Love what you're doing. And this is a great, great resource for entrepreneurs. All right, man. Take care. You too, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. You can find more information at entrepreneurhotseat.com or my personal website, andystorch.com. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, or if you are looking for ways to take your life and business to the next level, you can send me an email to Andy at andystorch.com. Take care.